Welcome to Cracking the Vault, a dive into Centrum's musical archives. I'm Peter McCracken. Today, let's listen to some gospel music. I've got good news to bring, that is why I sing. My joys with you I'll share. When my ship comes in, I'll leave this world of sin. I'm going to take a trip on that old gospel ship. Foghorn String Band, back before they were stuck at home. Sammy, Nadine, Caleb, and Reeve, I hope hope y'all get out on the road again soon. Here's Ross Brown, a left-handed fiddler from Hiawassee, Georgia, born in 1909. This is from his visit to Centrum in 1992. We're going to play my favorite uh, sacred number, Amazing Grace. Everybody knows this tune here. Thank you. 
When our God sent Jonah down in Nineveh land to preach the gospel to the wicked man and to repent his wicked ways. Gone overthrow the city in a 40 days. God moved in a windstorm. And he rose in a windstorm. He troubled everybody in mind. Went out, Joan went down to the seashore, and he made up his mind which way to go. And he got himself a ship, and he paid his fare. But God was angry with the Jonah down there. God moved in a windstorm, and he rose in a windstorm. It troubled everybody in mind. But God saw the ship, he came in time, and the captain of the ship, he got a trouble in mind, and then he went into the deep, where he saw old Jonah there fast asleep, God moved in a windstorm, and he rose in a windstorm, and he troubled everybody in mind, they said, hey, there's danger, tell me your name, oh, my name is Jonah, and I'm fleeing from the king, and all this trouble's on account of me. Why don't you throw me overboard and let the ship sail free? God moved in a windstorm. And he rose in a windstorm. And he troubled everybody in mine. <laughs> So they threw Jonah overboard. A whale came up and it swallowed him whole. And then they took him over to Nineveh land. Where he threw up Jonah on a bar of sand. God moved in a windstorm. And he rose in a windstorm. He troubled everybody in mind. Oh, now, well, God sent Jonah down to Nineveh land. Preach the gospel to the wicked man and to repent his wicked ways. Gonna overthrow the city in a 40 days. Keep your 
that yonder dressed in red it must be the children that Moses fled keep your hands on that plow hold on and who's that yonder dressed in white it must be the children of the Israelites keep your hand on that plow Hold on, hold on, hold on, keep your hand on that plow, hold on, little mandolin by John Wilcox. Ghost from back in 1989. Keep your hands on that plow. It seems like Marley's Ghost has been together longer than the Rolling Stones. They're still making good music. Before that, you heard Mark Graham, the voice of America, with percussive dancer Sandy Silva laying down the beat. Now here's Pete Sutherland with a sacred harp hymn, also from 1989. Ye fleeting charms of earth, farewell, your springs of joy are dry. My soul now seeks another home, a brighter world on high. I'm a long time traveling here below, I'm a long time traveling away traveling here below 
Farewell to all my earthly friends, I leave you in God's care. And if I no more see you here, gone, I'll meet you there. I'm a long time traveling here below, I'm a long time traveling away from home. I'm a long time traveling here below, gonna lay this body down. When I can read my titles clear to mansions in the skies, I'll bid farewell to every fear and wipe my weeping eyes. I'm a long time traveling here below. I'm a long time traveling away from I'm a long time traveling here below, gonna lay this body down. I'm a long time traveling here below, I'm a long time traveling away from home. I'm a long time traveling here below, gonna lay this body
The other thing that, that went on over there in Sodom, as you can imagine, was the telling of stories. Now, I'm not talking about the jack tales and that sort of thing. I'm talking about stories about each other and about people that were long gone. Well, this story is about this woman who used to live right down the road from us when I was growing up. Her name was Little Betty, and I've never heard her called anything other than Little Betty. And there was a reason for this. She was about four feet and 11 inches tall, and she weighed about 78 pounds sopping wet. Well, now, little Betty was married to Amos, and Amos, bless his heart, must have weighed close 400 pounds. Well, now, Amos got sick one winter. He is awful sick, and he is sick up into the spring, and, well, he is older than God's dog anyway, and he died. Well, now, the custom back then was to send your dearly departed off with the undertaker, and they'd dress them in whatever clothes you sent, and then they'd bring them back and set them up in the house for the wake. And folks had come in all over the community. They called it setting up with a body. And they'd eat and talk and just have a big old time. Well, there was an interesting thing that took place over there. Right about the time that Amos passed away, the, the, see, we had every flavor of Baptist church there in, in Sodom that you could imagine. We had free will Baptist, Southern Baptist, uh, primitive Baptist, just plain old Baptist. I mean, there's just a big parcel of them. Well, a Baptist church that Amos and Little Betty were members of, they got into a row in the congregation and they split. Well, now, the ones that stayed there at the church decided to buy Amos a suit to be buried in. And the congregation that had left weren't about to be outdone, so they bought Amos a suit too. So there was Amos, poor old thing. At his death, he had two suits, and he had never owned a single one the whole time he was living. <laughs> well, little Betty sent him off with his green suit, and the undertaker dressed him, brought him back, and set him up there. And little Betty was standing looking over in the coffin, and the first person that showed up that afternoon was her sister, Vine. Well, now little Betty and Vine was standing there looking over in the coffin, and Vine said, well, you know little Betty is standing here looking at him. They parted his hair on the wrong side. He don't look natural. So they went back in the bedroom and got a comb and a brush and came back in there and kind of redone his hair, parted it and fixed it, smoothed it down. 
stepped back and looked some more. And little Betty said, oh, you know Vine? Looking at him Elaine there in that green suit, I believe I'd like him better in his other suit. So they decided to change Amos' clothes. Little Betty first crawled over in the coffin with Amos and unbuttoned buttons and pulled and tugged. And well, Now, he fit awful snug in that coffin, and they couldn't get his clothes off. So she climbed back over in the floor, and they decided between the two of them to get Amos out of that coffin and lay him down in the floor to where they could get at him good. Well, they strained and struggled around there and pulled him up on the side of the coffin, you know, on the edge. It's kind of narrow up there, and he fell on the end of the floor. And then they changed his clothes. And then it come time to put Amos back over in that coffin. Well, they strained and struggled, and it, it soon became apparent that they were not going to be able to lift him off the floor. So Vine said, Lord, have mercy, little Betty, whatever are we going to do? Said, folks, he's going to start showing up for the wake, and he does look awful unnatural laying there on the floor that way. Said, people will talk. <laughs> and little Betty said, Lord, all I know to do is to run up the road to Irvin's. Now, Irvin is my daddy. And get Irvin to come down here and help us get him back over in. So little Betty struck out up the hill to the house. Well, now you have to sort of imagine this. Daddy was on the inside of the house watching a baseball game. He was the biggest New York Yankees baseball team fan you've ever seen. And he was totally engrossed in this game that was on TV. And I was sitting on the couch eight years old watching Daddy because lots of times it's more fun to watch Daddy and listen to Daddy than it was to listen to the TV. So the door flies open and bangs against the wall and there stands little Betty hanging on the doorknob. Now, I didn't mention it, but she had asthma real bad and she was real winded and wheezing. And she said, Irving, you've got to come down to the house and help us get Amos back in his coffin. <laughs> Daddy looked over at her and said, well, where in the world is he, little Betty? I thought he is dead. Little Betty, little Betty said, Irving, you fool, he is dead. But me and Vine got him out in the coffin to change his clothes, and we can't pick him up off from the floor to get him back over in it. Daddy said, little Betty, damned if you didn't worry him to death the whole time he is living, and you're still after him. <laughs> but Daddy, being the kind of person he was, he stood up, and I stood up. Boy, I wasn't about to miss this. And down the, ro down the road we went to little Betty's. Well, we got down there, and sure enough, I laid Amos in the floor. And Vina's standing right up over him and looking, I don't know where she thought he was going, but she seemed to be keeping watch. Well, Daddy and Vine and little Betty worried around there for the longest time, and they, he had settled on the floor by then, so there's no way of moving him. So little Betty said, Lord Irving, what are we going to do now? Daddy said, well, I reckon I'll just have to go down to the store. There'll be a crowd down there watching the ball game, and I'll bring some folks back up here to help me. Well, he left, and in a minute he is back with a carload full of men. Well, they all came into the house, and between all of them, they managed to pick him up and kind of pressed him back down in his coffin. And then the men stepped back and started talking about the ball game. Left me and Vine and little Betty standing up there looking over in the coffin. Well, little Betty kind of adjusted her glasses, and she leaned down and looked close, and then she straightened back up and kind of squinted. And she said, well, you know Vine, now that I look at him laying there, I believe I did like him better than his other suit.
I learned this one from Kaz Wallen, and he used to call it his sacrilegious religious song, although it's not really sacrilegious. What it does is it, it kind of talks about all the different preachers that we had there in Madison County. There's a Baptist preacher, you can tell him by his coat, don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? He's got a bottle in his pocket that he can't hardly tote, don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Thank God there's a song that's a singing in my soul and my soul set free. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? There's a Methodist preacher, don't you know? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Oh, that he never let a rooster get big enough to crow. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Thank God there's a song that's singing in my soul and my soul set free. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Oh, there's a presbytery now, they're so proud. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Oh, their necks so stiff they can't hardly bow. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Thank God there's a song that's a singing in my soul and my soul set free. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? There's a holy rollers, they're all right. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Oh, they'll roll, they'll tumble, they'll kick out the lights. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Thank God there's a song that's singing in my soul and my soul set free. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Oh, there's a free will Baptist I like to have forgot. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Oh, they have to get saved every other day. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Thank God there's a song that's a singing in my soul and my soul set free. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Oh, there's a Catholic priest, he'll jingle his bell. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Oh, he'll take ten dollars and pray you out of purgatory. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Thank God there's a song that's singing in my soul and my soul set free. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Of them TV evangelists, now what can I say? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Are they raking in the money while they're rolling in the hay? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Thank God there's a song that's singing in my soul and my soul set free. Don't you hear Jerusalem mourn? Thank you very much. That was Sheila K. Adams, the story and a song from back in 1994. And 20 years later, Sheila went on to win the National Heritage Fellowship. Before that, the Neolithic Broadcasters wish they had stayed together. Jerry Gallagher, Mark Graham, and a couple of yokes from the same egg, the Canote Brothers. This next piece goes back to 1978, the second year of fiddle tunes. 
Jack Link, Jerry Gallagher, and Scott Nygaard sing the River Jordan. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm on my way to the River of Jordan. I'm going right down to the rushing water. I'm gonna dip myself. Gonna dip myself in the River of Jordan. And let the cool waters cleanse my soul. Through the river of Jordan, our Savior went one day, and preacher John the Baptist met him there. And when John baptized Jesus in Jordan's rushing water, the mighty power of God filled the air. I'm on my way to the river of Jordan. I'm going right down to the rushing water. Gonna dip myself, gonna dip myself in the river of Jordan, and let cool waters cleanse my soul. stricken with dreaded leprosy and he sent for the man of God to pray but Elisha said to Naaman go dip yourself in Jordan and let the cool waters wash your spots away so he went right down to the river of Jordan he went right in to the rushing water he dipped himself he dipped himself in the river of Jordan and the cool waters made him whole Jordan is many miles away, and that mighty river I may never see. But I'll find myself an altar in an old-fashioned church, and my river of Jordan that will be. I'm on my way to Jordan. I'm going right down to the rushing water. Gonna dip myself. Gonna dip myself in the river of Jordan. And the cool waters cleanse my soul. time for that occasional segment we like to call It Might Have Been, where we listen to someone who was supposed to come to a Centrum program, but for whatever reason, never made it. Oops! Here's Abner J., one-man band from Georgia, with his take on the sociological fallout from the song Dixie. And the most hated song in the nation by blacks is the song Dixie, all because of a stupid misunderstanding. Dixie was written in 1828 by Daniel Emmett. Dixie was written as a personal thing, a love song, same as I love you for sentimental reasons. Daniel Emmett had been down in Dixie trying to get a break 
as a singer and songwriter. He went back to Cincinnati, Ohio, his home. He was a Yankee. And he went to New York City. And he proposed to his sweetheart. Same as today. When you propose to a gal, you got to promise her something exciting. Like, uh, I'll take you to Jamaica or Miami Beach on our honeymoon. So Daniel Emmett's proposal to this gal was, I'll take you down in Dixie. Oh, look away, look away to Dixie. He just kept talking to her about Dixie until she agreed to marry him. Then he had to try to raise some money in a hurry. So he had written some songs, but he had had no luck with them. So he sat down and started writing the song Dixie because Dixie is what he talked about all the time. A New York publisher offered him 50 cents for the song. He said, I'm not through with it. So he sold him some other songs he had written for $10 each. Him and the gal got married, and they went to New Orleans, along with his cats, the 40. There in New Orleans, they were living in a bowling house. A bowling house is where five or six men sleep in the same bed. You all go to the table at the same time and eat till it's all gone. Side bed of cheese and beans. When you get out of a job, you keep eating and sleeping. When you get a job, you catch up. The famous James Brown lived in a bowling house. He had a hamburger bill of $300. So Daniel Emmett figured out a way to get him a decent meal. So he got a cockroach and put it in his vest pocket and went in this better restaurant and ate him a filly million. When he finished eating, he took the cockroach and put it in his plate. When the waiter come round for the money, Emmett said, look at him. This food got roaches in it. I can't pay for stuff like this. So they didn't want him to put on no seam in the place, so they let him go without playing. So he went on back to the bowling house the next day, and he told his cast of 40, y'all get ready, put on your Sunday clothes. I'm gonna take y'all out for down. So they went down in French quarters, but first they all went in the alley and got cockroaches and put in their vest pockets. They went in this French restaurant and ordered lobster tails, ox tails, gator tails, and just everything they wanted, champagne and all the trimming. You know, roaches don't like no whole lot of noise. You take me, before I got 16 young'uns, my house was full of roaches. Now with 16 young'uns keeping up noise all the time, I don't have any roaches. So while they was eating, 40 of them, keeping up noise, the roaches got away. When the waiter come round for the money, they didn't have no money or roaches either. So it resulted in a fist fight. They all got black eyes. Being their luck, when they got back to the bowling house, they had a call to come to work that night. They was gonna try a Porterville at the opera house for the first time. So the makeup artist tried to make their face up. And every time he cover up the black eyes and black bruises on their face, the black bruises would work back through the makeup. So the makeup artist said, well, I'll just make your whole face is black. This is how the black face minister was born. They opened up that night at the opera house before a pack audience. The audience was spellbound for two hours. Some would say, those are some funny looking darkies. I never saw darkies with sharp nose and small lips. They sang, they danced, they played music. They drew no applause from the audience. They thought they were a complete flop. So the manager hollered to Emmett and said, Sing your new song. That new song was Dixie. 
They start singing and playing Dixit. Everybody in the audience came to their feet, clapping their hands and climbing upside the wall, same as they do today, a hundred and forty-three years later. Thirty-six years passed after Dixit was written till the Civil War. The reason black people take offense to Dixie and some Yankees simply because the Confederate Army Band used the song Dixie as a marching song during the Civil War. Dixie is a happy song, footstep stomping song, hand clapping song, loving song, drinking song, song you eat by, song you spend money by, song you get engaged by. It was intended to be this way and no other way. Dixie. This is the true story of the song Dixie. I'm working on a Working on a building, 
Before that, Abner J., the one-man band. I promise you we'll play more of Abner and tell some stories about him in the future. Now, let's listen to Lightning Wells. I grew up watching uh, country shows and bluegrass shows and stuff on TV um, back in North Carolina. And I always like to close out with a gospel song like them guys used to do. So I'm taking off my imaginary cowboy hat like them guys always did when they did a gospel song. This is one came from North Carolina called The Beautiful City. God knows. Come and make it to the city. Twelve gates to the city. Hallelujah. Amen. a bunch.
says, Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the rain, lead me on to the lane. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me on. When my way grows dream, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is all most gone, at the river, Lord, I stand. Guide my feet, hold my hand, take my hand, precious Lord. Miss Ethel Caffey Austin, West Virginia's first lady of gospel music. But I want to sing this song for you, and, I, and I'm going to sing it two times, and the third time I want you to sing it with me, okay? Everybody, you can make it too high. I've had to change all keys to my song. can make it you can make it these trials that you're going through God's gonna show you just what to do you can make it you can make it I don't care What's going wrong? God won't let it last too long. You're not in this thing alone. You can make, you can make it. You can make it. You can make it. trials that you're going through God's gonna show you just what to do you can make it 
myself that you can make it. Mama used to sing over the washtub. Now, how many of you have ever, ever, have ever seen the ringer washers? Remember those? And you wash the clothes, you have, you have two galvanized tubs on the side, and you run the water, you know, you run the clothes through. My mama used to sing to the beat of the washing machine and sing this song. And she used to play the piano, and after I learned how to play, she refused to play in front of me, and I hated that. But she used to make the sounds of the piano and the, the key changes with her voice. And I'll show you what I mean in a minute, real quick. Like a ship that's tossed and driven, battered by an angry sea. When the storm of life is raging and the fury falls on me. To make this race so hard to run But I say to my soul Take courage I know the love will make a way Somehow I know that the Lord will make 
break away somehow When beneath the crows I bow He will take away your sorrow Let him have your burdens now When the Lord bowed down so heavy And the weight is shown on your brow a sweet relief in a way I know the Lord will make a way somehow I know the Lord will make a way somehow mm-hmm. when beneath the cross I bow mm-hmm, he will take away your sorrow let him have your burdens now down so heavy the weight is shown on your brow but there's a sweet relief in knowing that the Lord will make a way somehow there's a sweet relief in knowing that the Lord will make a way song that I learned when I was a little girl. I had to start teaching choir when I was nine years old. And you haven't lived until you have your mama in your choir. <laughs> You're not playing it right. It's too slow. And I'll say, well, mama, this is the way I want to do it. You know? But we had a ball. I can remember it quite well. And that song was one of the songs I remember be, uh, learning how to play. And this other one I learned how to play because my daddy liked it. And every time I see, I tell Mr. Jackson this, every time I see John Jackson, I see my daddy. He dresses just like my daddy. If I had a picture of him, you would think it was John Jackson. I'm serious. From the Stetson head all the way down to the feet. Indeed. All right, at this time, we're going to sing the song, Thank You, Jesus. And by the third time you hear it, I expect all of you singing too. All right? Okay. about out of time this week you've been listening to Cracking the Vault the gospel edition thanks for tuning in my name's Peter McCracken and I'll see you down the road if the virus flies and the creeks don't rise
Okay.